Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgeford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. I believe that this message out of all the messages that I've preached in the 13 and a half years of the Rock Church is the most important. That was kind of the response I was hoping I was going to get. Because if you were like, yeah, okay, bring on, let's see, then um, I'd be uh, having to work a little bit harder. So thank you for that. No, but I, I seriously and genuinely do sense that in my spirit, and hopefully that will be revealed as I, as I speak. Next week, I'm going to be preaching again, and as is our custom, it might not be our custom forever, but I'm going to be presenting what, um, what we sense as a senior leadership team is our word for the year, a focus. So we've got our vision to plant churches, to be a church that plants churches, and we've got our locations where we know they're going to be. Uh, but sometimes, particularly over, over recent years, we felt that God has got a focus for us. So I will be bringing that to us next week. But today, today's message is the key to all of the focuses, the annual focuses, particularly and notwithstanding 2024. So what I bring today is crucial for the next few years. Starting tomorrow. <laughs> it's kind of like, there's no point in having a fast car if you've got no fuel to put in it. We were at a football match yesterday and our, our, our yeah, you read, our, our man of the match, our main player, the winning goal scorer for the last 10 minutes could hardly walk. So he was, he was useless, but yet he was our best player. So if we're not fit... For purpose, we can be everything that we think we are, but we're not going to be able to manifest that if we're not fit. You can be the world's greatest singer, but if you've got a cough and a cold, you're not going to be able to release that gift to the world around it. So, so today is crucial for us. And the title of my message is A Tale of Two Houses. A Tale of Two Houses. And we're going to go to the book of Haggai, or if you're American, Haggai. <laughs> and um, if you've got your Bibles um, and you want to open them or turn them on, you can do that to your tro- chosen ch- translation. Haggai is a, a small book towards the end of the Old Testament if you're still working your way around the Bible. Uh, three books from the end of the Old Testament, and it was set around, I think it was given 520 BC. So that just gives you a little bit of a framework. 520 years before the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, that is the date. The great thing about Haggai is it tells us exactly um, the dates of, of what is going on as we will read. We're going to read the whole chapter. I think sometimes it's good to just camp and settle get some context, read through slowly. I know there are other times where we pick a verse here and we join it there and whatever, but um, let's not treat the Word of God 
constantly as a buffet, but um, let's have a, a good chew now and again. So Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through to whatever it is at the end. On the screen for those of you who want to follow there from the New Living Translation. On August the 29th of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. That's most of the awkward names out of the way. I think they come back once more, but I've practiced. Let me just stop there and pause and just give you a little bit more context. God chose a group of people, Israel. He could have chosen anyone, but he chose them. And in the Old Testament, we follow the story of the Israelites and how they navigate their way into the presence of God and out of the presence of God. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a a second or two. But there was a 70-year period, which was prophesied so many times before, where God's people went into exile. God allowed the enemies to overtake them because... They were not connecting with him. They were worshipping idols. They were not following God's instruction, clear instruction. So he wasn't out to hurt them. He was out to discipline them, to show him that he is the awesome God that we've been singing about. He is the one to to follow. He is the one to worship. And during that 70 years, it was the Babylonians who God used to take them into exile. And over that 70 years towards the end, it was the Persian Empire were were the ruling authority in the region. And through a chain of events there, God allowed his people to come back. And the 70 years that were prophesied were fulfilled precisely. And God led his people back to start again, to rebuild the city, to rebuild the temple, to, to, to have a second chance at worshipping how God intended to. And that's where we find ourselves in the book of Haggai. Verse 2. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. The people are saying, this is the Israelites, the people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Verse 3. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins. Hold that thought as we carry on. That's the tale of two houses coming up. We're going to come back to that. Verse 5. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you are putting them in pockets filled with holes. Anybody feel like that before? Verse 7, this is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. He continues, look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. You hope for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you bought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses. 
It's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. Verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. Hallelujah moment. When they, were heard, when they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. That's not a scary fear, that's, that's a reverent fear. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. Wow, how refreshing must have that been after 70 years. 70 years, suddenly says, I am with you. Out of their obedience, he said, I am with you. So the Lord, I love this verse in the NLT, the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. They began to work on the house of their God, Lord of Heaven's armies, on September 21 of the second year of King Darius's reign. A tale of two houses. I wonder how much we can relate to what was going on there in the fact that as Christians, if you're a believer in Christ here this morning, we know that we should worship God and we do worship God at different levels with different experiences, with different personalities, yet there is a connection with him. We know that we are to worship him and we do what we can with that. But yet what was happening here was God's people were brought back into the Holy Land, brought back into Jerusalem. Interestingly, they, and if you read some of the books of the Old Testament before, you'll see that they laid the foundations, they rebuilt the altar and laid the foundations of a city which was just flattened and just things got in the way, circumstances that, that, that the neighboring people put them off, discouraged them, sidetracked them, and for two years, two years after coming back, they'd done a bit. They'd had some intense, good intentions. They'd got to work, but then for two years, they're back. You'd think that they would just, nothing would stop them, but something got in the way. And for two years, it took two years and a change of king in the Persian Empire it ignited this book this narrative and God speaking saying come on guys my house is lying in ruins and you're all busy sorting your own houses out you're paneling your houses with wood you're doing all the things that you think is right but my house 
is lying in ruins. Why is that so important, you might ask? Well, it's really important because God's house in the Old Testament was where he dwelt. We've been singing about Shekinah glory. It's not a, Shekinah's not a word you'll find in the scripture, but the emphasis is, it is as, as, as we've been told by Sandy, it's God's manifest presence. It was in the temple that God chose to literally, I'm talking about God most high, to dwell on earth. Can you just imagine that for a minute? That you're living with a group of people and God chose to live amongst them. Surely, whatever place that was, we're talking about God Most High, the creator of the heavens and earth, bothering to come down to little old planet earth to a little pin drop on a map called Jerusalem and in a temple. And yet, people are like, well... And, and they weren't saying it wasn't right. They were, they were just saying it's, it's not the right time. Oh, how many of us have done that before? The Lord's calling us. Well, I know you're right, Lord, but it's just not the right time. <laughs> I know I should pray more, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to get there. I've just got to sort a few things out. I mean, I've just got to sort a few personal things out. It's like, God, it's like, God, you guys not getting this yet? You come to me and I'll sort it out for you. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm front of the line for some of that stuff, especially over the years of being a Christian. Does anybody want to be honest and join me? You see, God chose to dwell amongst us. Didn't have to, but he chose to. It was, part, it was kind of, you could theologically argue that he had, he had no other way of because he is love and that's the way he expressed himself. He wasn't going to be, a, he's not a distant God. And even in the beginning, we, we can look right back into Genesis and the creation account. We see in Genesis 3 uh, that God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. How amazing must that have been? Just like, and we say, you know, I've got God as a Christian and God's with me. Yeah, but actually kind of walking there beside you. I don't know how it all worked and manifested, but they knew that God was walking with them. And that didn't last long, did it, for those of you who know your Bible? Sin came. You know, you have to turn the pages or scroll up a, and down a little bit further and to realize that that didn't go well for too long. Sin entered the world and God can't be in the presence of sin. He's a holy God. He's 100% perfect. That's why even 0.0001% of sin, he can't be around that. He's holy. So there was a distance. Fast forward a few hundred years just for time's sake and God brought his people, and again, we sang it this morning and this wasn't planned, you know, out, out of Egypt. He brought them. He didn't bring them out of Egypt. That wasn't the prime motive. If you read the scripture, the prime motive was bring him to himself. Getting him out of Egypt was just part of the process to getting him to himself. Because he wanted to dwell with them. And the Bible tells us that there was a tent that was set up called the tabernacle. And because, because Israel, God's chosen people, had to 
were moving about for a number of years, God wanted to move with them. So there was this portable tent. And God's presence was there. Everybody camped round as near as they could. They didn't spread themselves out. They wanted to be in the presence of God. And then you can fast forward to the kings. And King David architected this amazing temple once the Israelites had base camped and crossed the Jordan and got into the promised land. And sometime later, God instructed David, King David, to architect this temple and then his son Solomon built it. A wondrous spectacle. This was the permanent built, stone-built tabernacle, if you like. And God dwelt there. And we can go into the Ark of the Covenant and I've preached on that all before, but that's the Holy of Holies. The temple was a holy place and you go into the Holy of Holies. That's where God actually dwelt between the cherubim, the angels on top of this big ornate box. Well, not that big, but... And what was called the mercy seat was where God's presence, that was the epicenter of God on planet Earth. Amazing. And yet we can get, we can even know that and get so consumed in our own lives and our own ideals and our own plans. Even as Christians, we got to do this and we've got to sort that out and before we do that we'll do that and yet God is waiting for us he's there he's he's sent himself there and then we can go 520 years on from Haggai and we can come to Jesus that was the that was that was the that was the whole plan That was the end game. Jesus to come and sort the mess out from the garden so that we could get something back of that walking with God in the garden. And and we, we get that through Jesus because it's through Jesus Christ. Jesus, Emmanuel, was God embodied in human form. The holy man, the the man who was 100% human, but 100% God. That was the walking tabernacle. That was the walking temple. You saw Jesus, you see God. You read the first few um, books of the New Testament, and you read the narrative of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. You see God. Because whatever was in human form, that was God's expression. That was his way of communicating with us. And when Jesus died, so that that chasm, that that gap, when God left in Genesis 3 because of sin, Christ paid the ultimate sacrifice, his life, so that we, through faith, and I don't want to just minimize it, but simply, but so profoundly, through faith, through believing this, We get God inside of us. Tell you what, if you were an Israelite back in the tabernacle or temple times and they were just somehow transported to today and see the utter, they probably wouldn't believe it. The fact that we get to carry God through his spirit 
in our bodies. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 6.19, I think, that it says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Wow. You get to carry God. The house of God, if you like, is our hearts. It's our spirit. Our spirit, the spirit of man, contains the spirit of God. This is our house. How are you doing maintaining your house? Your spiritual house, the house of God. Rhetorical question. Pause and think. Preaching to myself first and foremost. How are we doing maintaining our spiritual house? The spirit that houses the very essence, presence, manifest. Everything is available in there. Because here's how we can live. We can live as born-again believers... We can know that the Spirit of God is within us. Through faith, we can have that experience that many of us in the room have, where we know through faith, just as the Scripture says, by faith, we are saved from hell. We are connected to God. We believe that Jesus came to die for our sins, and now even though we sin, our identity has changed to saints. We are saints who Sin, but we know we are saints. And Paul talks about that dilemma and that struggle in Romans 7 where it's like, yeah, I know I'm a saint, but I also sin and I hate it. We've all been there and we all are there. But yet, first and foremost, we have God in us. It doesn't seem right, it doesn't seem fair, but he's made a way for it through faith. So now we take on the perfection of God through Jesus Christ in our lives. When God looks at you, if you have stated your belief in him, God looks at your spirit first and foremost. He sees Jesus and he sees perfection. He sees all the rubbish we do. He sees the things that we want to get better at. But that was all judged at the cross 2,000 years ago. And right now, right now, we should be looking forward we should be looking upward. We should be dealing with the stuff that, we're not, that doesn't please God. But so often we get entrapped. We get into a state of mind where oh, the devil just wants us to get into a Christian routine. Yeah, I know I've got to pray and I don't do it as much so I feel bad. I know I've got to go to church and I don't do too bad there. And I know I should worship, and it's good to worship, and it's good to give, and, you know, it's not the main thing for me, but I give a bit here and there, so I do give. And it just, it's like, oh, what does it come to? What does it come to? And then life comes, and situations and circumstance come and smack us around the face, and cripplers, and debilitators, and bring depression and delusionment. And our foundations are just weak as Christians. Why? Because we haven't maintained and strengthened the house of God. We've been busy with our own houses. 
We haven't focused on the life of Christ in us and we focus too much on our own lives. But we should all know, most of us know by now, that the kingdom of God is a... What's the word? Topsy-turvy. That's it. Tipsy-topsy. Topsy-turvy. Upside down. It's back to front a lot of the time. Matthew 6.33. Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God. And he's talking about all the clothes that we wear, the food that we eat. All those necessities of life, they will just come to you if you seek first the kingdom of God. So when we put God first, when we seek him, prayer is, is the first thing that comes to mind, in faith, in believing the scriptures, in hearing him knock, and answering. <laughs> we hear you, look, I'm trying, but if you can do it better, Lord. But yet we so often end up there just got to sort this out what did they say what did the people say let's read it again I want to get this absolutely right for you the Lord's saying why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins this is what the Lord of heaven army says look at what's happening to you blah 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 not the right time have I gone past it verse 2 I've gone right past it no thank you the time has not yet come you say the time has not yet come. I'm here to tell you the time's now. So is Jesus. He's confirming it. The time is now. Are you getting it? Do you need another knock on the door? Or I told him to give three, so there should be another one. Any time now. The time is now. The time is I'm not waiting for a knock. I'm looking at the clock thinking, uh, I've got a couple of things to say. Oh, it's only, it's only 11.34. Well, so I, I could probably say everything now. <laughs> unless you all want to go home early. Who said yes? <laughs> Tinker. The, the, the people, when they... When they heard the word of the Lord, which I'm trying to get across to you now, and I want you to hear with spiritual ears, because I believe what I'm saying is prophetic for us as a church. It took, they, they, they rebuilt the altar, they relayed the foundations when they came back out of captivity, got complacent, started doing their own thing for two years. And then when they got this word, I'm not going to read it all again, but I encourage you to go away and read it and see what God is saying to you. Uh, it took them four years. I mean, it was obviously it was a big project, right? Rebuilding a city and a temple and all the rest of it. Four years. Uh, and I give this to you as a church. I give this to you as a church to weigh up, because all prophecies should be weighed up. But I believe God is saying to us, four years. He's saying four years, within four years, if you obey this word, and I'm going to come to the practicality of it, if you obey this word, 
four years, you're going to see the church is planted. You'll see the vision fulfilled. And you might be like, oh, another four years. I'm talking about a fulfillment that God said. I'm not just talking about sending a group of people to Ruddington and that's Ruddington ticked. I'm talking about thriving, healthy churches. I'm talking about buildings. I'm talking about leaders. I'm talking about ministries that reach outside of the south of Nottingham. I'm talking about a fulfillment and God's fulfillment of our vision. Four years. I don't think, oh, four years. It's like if everything that God has got for us as a church is going to happen, why don't you to weigh this up in four years? We're going to see some amazing stuff happen next year. And even more the year after, and even more the year after. We're in our 14th year, 13 and a half years we've been going as a church. So we've just started being a teenager. I'm starting to, starting to grow up. Okay? In the teenage years, you, there's a bit of rebellion there as well, and it's kind of a bit of the rock, isn't it? A bit edgy, and, you know, we can be forgiven for that. Uh, but this is time for us to grow up. And I don't mean that in a derogative way, but I mean it in a direct way. It's a time for us to grow up and start to take ownership of this house. And the main way you do that is by inhabiting it, is by camping there, is by dwelling with God. That's exactly why we encourage us all as a church at the beginning of the year where everybody's making New Year's resolutions to lose weight. I need to do that as much as anyone else. But the best resolution is to be resolute about your relationship with God and to spend time. If you don't normally do it, five minutes is loads better than nothing. And if you do half an hour, do 40 minutes. If you do an hour, try and make that hour quality or even extend it. Whatever it is, we're not doing it for the sake of just putting a timer on right. I've just sat down with God. It's to understand that he is waiting for you. He is wanting you to put him first so that he can show you the way to go, the things to do, the people to speak to, the relationships to connect with, the relationships to disconnect with, the things to give to, the words to say, whatever it may be, the comfort that you need. Seek first the kingdom of God. And it's not difficult. Look, like many of you, I've got up early sometimes and fallen asleep. I remember the very first time I was heard a message like this, commit myself. I remember I was in a little um, study room in my house in Keyworth where I grew up and it was dark and I put the electric fire on and I got myself in a comfy seat and just started to warm up in the cold and next thing... <clears throat> but yeah, I made the effort. And through ups and downs... Here I am today, with lots more ups to get to. But the fact is that God is waiting. James 4.8, draw close to me, God says, and I will draw close to you. The metaphor is that we take the first step. He's already there. He's waiting 
for us all. And whether you do it whatever time, it's good to have a time because we're, God's created us as creature of habit. So when we do things, it just happens. And just That's why we do the devotion explosion for 40 days because there's a better chance you can hold on to a new habit if you continually repeat it. And some days you'll miss. And you just get back up on the saddle. You say, God, you know my heart. And he says, yeah, come again. Come again, son. Come again, daughter. Just to, and it's not to twist God's arm. It's not to just have the things that he wants us to have and the knowledge and the wisdom and the understanding and the comfort and everything that comes packaged with God. It's just to be with him. Just to sit in his presence by faith and know he is with you. Just allow the Holy Spirit to do what he needs to do. Wow. And then you grow in that. You become disciplined in that. You become mature in that. It becomes a habit. And then you start to see, right, oh, that's what God means when you get that feeling on. And then, and then you open the scriptures. And suddenly God is speaking. Just a verse. You might read a hundred verses and one is like, oh. It's not always like, bang. With me, it's kind of like, oh. Look at it there. Oh. Oh, is that me? Is that, mm. God did it to me just a couple of days ago. And it's like a bit of a rebuke at me saying, All right, well, you're not treating that person how I think you should in your heart, how I want you to treat them. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm not. Ah. Okay, well, I'm going to go with what you say, Lord. Changed everything changed everything so we do the devotion explosion and look without doing the hard sell we've got some tools here for you you go on the forward slash devotion we've put the emails out we've put the texts out we've put it on the whatsapp you don't have to confess I know you all haven't read them because people don't but that's between you and the Lord but if you just go to forward slash devotion you'll see we've got two two opportunities because we want to do this together. Let me just talk about that quickly. I'm going to be done in five minutes. I told you some truth here from the scripture. 1 Corinthians 16, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. It's comforting. Um, just before that, if you, if you rewind a few chapters in 1 Corinthians 3.16, that's an easy one to remember, 3.16 and go back to, he brings this concept up and says it like this in the Amplified. He says, do you not understand that you, the church, are the temple of God? You see, when, God, when the scripture here says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, it's talking in the plural. And we take this, especially in our modern Western society, individualized, like, oh, me, myself and I, the humanistic trinity that even the church can get sucked into. You know, my house, 
and build my house. No, no. When God says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, he's talking in the plural. He's talking to the church. And if God was saying this now, he was saying, your, all your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Peter says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. So we're in this together. Whether you like the person across the road from you or next to you or not, just turn to them and say, sorry, we're in this together. So 1 Corinthians 3.16, I like the Amplified, it says, do you, not, do you know and understand that you, the church, are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells permanently in you collectively and individually. We get the individual bit, but I'm here to encourage you and I'm here to tell you what the Scripture says, that together... When we do things together, we operate more in the realm of the Spirit than individually coming with our own parts. We weren't designed, the church wasn't designed as lots of individuals. The church was designed so that individuals, one body with many parts, could come together. That's why you need the person sitting next to you. That's why you need the person sitting over there. That's why we all need each other. And that's why I believe that we are going to manifest the presence of God being four, five, whatever churches of 150 people rather than one church of six, seven hundred, whatever. Because we're going to be able to function as that body. We can all do devotion, explosion, call it what you want. We can all sit with God and we can all be determined to do it, to spend more time looking after God's house inside of our hearts and that would be good. That would be beneficial. But knowing that we're all doing this, knowing that we are all together collectively seen by God, not just individually, but as one, supporting one another, encouraging one another, picking people up, spurring one another on, the Scripture says, encouraging one another, prophesying over one another, believing in one another, praying for one another. That will all manifest out of us spending time individually with God when we come together for those corporate times. I believe that God wants every single time we meet together, whether it be Sunday service, whether it be prayer meeting, even in AGM, whatever it is, when we come together we have so looked after the house of God individually that when those stones come together, God is so glorified because our hearts and attitudes are first and foremost trained and disciplined to think first about the kingdom of God. We might be going through some really hard stuff. We might be struggling. But because our discipline is God first, because we've spent time and we've proved it's not just a narrative toward heaven, but we have spent time in his presence, we will be able to conquer anything, particularly together. So you can go to forward slash devotion. You can pick one of two. Look, you can do your own thing, but that's your own thing. Come and join the party. Let's do this together. We've given you two streams to go. One is following the Bible in the ear. 
And you might think, well, I'm already doing that. Well, keep doing it. Do it with some other people. We're going to follow the Bible in a year. And you can join a WhatsApp group. Well, I don't want another WhatsApp group. It's admin only. You're going to get like two posts a day. If it was me, I would have opened it up and then it would end up a disaster and everybody would say, we shouldn't have opened it up because everybody's shouting here and that person posts 100 times a day and whatever. So we're going to admin only it. Kate's going to do that. A couple of encouraging posts just to spur you on, keep you going a day. And I'm going to follow my book again. So we're going to read a little chapter each day. It's like five, six, five, six pages. So maybe for those of you who are more new to the faith or just want to go over some specific, and want to focus in on a particular teaching each day rather than just reading a whole load of scripture, then you can be with me on the WhatsApp group or you can do both. And we have these journals specially made for us with a little rock logo on the front there and you can journal. If you've never journaled your experiences then I strongly encourage you. I was against journaling for decades of my Christian life. And, you know, like in recent years, God has shown me the importance of writing down what he's saying. More than anything, just so you can refer back to it. And you can glorify God. Because what the really neat thing about here, you, I don't, I ain't got time. No, I've talked about them enough. So here we go. Four years. Four years and God's like, wow. These people, these people obeyed me. They, they sought me first. They came to me. These guys have been doing it for decades. Paul's been going through utter pain. Utter. Thank you. Utter physical pain. But you know, you have a conversation with him. It's ne- never will you hear, first and foremost, the pain. And in his tone, it's all about the glory of God. Because these guys have just trained themselves. It shouldn't just be old schools. I mean, you young guys need to take hold of this. Because we want people to come into this church and not just... And I'm not, this is not a criticism, but we don't want it to be where, ah, oh, this, is, this is great and people love each other and we get cuddles and they're, they're not just thinking about themselves. And that's good, but it can be like a really nice add-on to life. That's not what church is about. Church is totally radical, counter cultural it's like it's a whole new way of living we are new creations in Christ we're living in the world but we're starting a whole new kingdom on this earth with God as our ruling lord and master through Jesus Christ that people we want people over the next four years to come into our worship experience come into our gatherings and 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 see all those things aforementioned but actually like wow what is going on here what is that? Why, even if they can't feel it, it's like these people are either crazy or I'm missing out on something major. We will know it's the presence of God. We will know that we have everything, even in all our diversity, and looking across at you lot, and you looking at me particularly, how diverse are we? 
How, just looking at, yeah, I mean, like crazy. Nowhere in the world I can't think that a group of so different people with different backgrounds would come and have one thing in common. A massive thing in common. We all carry the same God. We all carry the same God in our houses of our heart. And that's what brings us together. That's why I can genuinely cuddle any one of you. Take away Jesus, I would have a select few. (laughs) And so would you. That's the reality. I'm joking, but I'm being more serious. We have everything in common through Jesus Christ. Absolutely everything. That's why any one of us who are actually in Christ would lay our lives down for anybody else in this room. I wouldn't even do that for some of my family. I'm serious. I would I do it for you? Because that's how real family is. Let's stand to our feet. <laughs>